The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. and welcome to another edition of The Wizard Files, the special interview series where we go behind the scenes with former staff members of Wizard Magazine and the comic book professionals who help to fill its pages month in and month out. This time around, we are lucky to have a gentleman with us who had quite a journey at Wizard in the early 2000s. He explored everything that Wizard had to offer before jumping off on his own and publishing comics, where he has had uh, quite a bit of success over these last years. So we're excited to welcome to the podcast, Michael Dolce. How you doing? Thanks, Adam. I'm thrilled. Actually, I follow you guys on Twitter and, uh, you know, I was sitting there going, man, when's my turn coming? That's yeah. good. So here it is. Your time has come for sure. But we kind of got to go back to the beginning here real quick. Just when sure. you think about your love of comics, wanting to produce comics, wanting to work at a comic book magazine, how did you first discover the medium? Through cartoons, really. I mean, Mutant Ninja Turtles, I was like, nine, ten years old, and this is before they were syndicated weekly. Uh, I used to get up on Sunday morning, and Saturday mornings, dude, that's all you had. That was your cartoon. So Sunday morning, to get a cartoon was like, wow, okay. I, you know, I had to, like, really dig for it on Channel 11, and I, I found Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I was like, man, this this is awesome. This is a great thing. And then uh, my mom would, would take me out. We went to a stationery store. So again, this dates me, at least, in terms of where you could find comics, and that was at a stationery store. And what did I find? But I found the old Archie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics. It was the Man Ray. It was issue five, which is good because I, you know I caught the beginnings of that series, and I immediately got into it. And then at school, fifth grade was Mutant Ninja Turtles. But then my best friends, one of them, you know, showed me Spider Man, and it was like, you know, it was like giving me my first joint or something. You know, I was like, I was hooked. <laughs> it was Turtles was the gateway drug, and then Spider Man was my first like hardcore drug to get into. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I definitely remember the joys and wonders of a stationary store. You could get like troll dolls there. They'd have the dancing flowers that move to sound. Like every cool amazing. thing was at the stationary store back in the day. Yeah, it was amazing. And and, and the racks. And you know, it's funny, the, the, the comic book racks that I see at you know, shows now, I was just at Fan Expo Philly and those are like vintage things. I actually don't want to, I want to get one for my office. I definitely, I would love to actually. But those spinning racks were just the greatest thing. It was like, you know, full of wonderment. And again, you know, I mean, this is pre, pre, pre-internet. This is pre like social media. This is pre like 80 million channels on the TV, 80 million streaming options. To see a, a rack full of colors and, and characters, I mean, it was the greatest thing. The fun fact about you is that you grew up near Congers, New York, where Wizard right. was based. And you actually yeah. shopped at the Seamus Family yes. comic book store as a kid. So what do you remember just about the atmosphere of that store? Was there like an aura about it? And everybody know, oh, this is the Wizard family. Yeah, you know what's funny is when you're like 10, 11, 12 years old, you don't necessarily pick up on things, but you absorb a lot. And there was definitely time where, you know, fast forward when I'm in college and Wizard is like what Wizard is and you're sitting there going like, you know, I was in that store and I could remember Pat McCallum chatting. I don't know if Garib was ever necessarily there, but I always saw the parents there. I, I remember his mom like, you know, distinctly. She was actually, she was super awesome. She would always, you know, show me 
like a new comic or a new whatever or you know and she was very proud of her son she would show me wizard magazine when she was younger too like or when i was younger i should say and you know the store itself this look the store itself was awesome and i guess it was tuesday it was new comic book day but for me it was like every wednesday or thursday i would go there i didn't even know what new comic book day was i just knew like i was hooked i was like i was addicted and then my dad would drive me every week and it was awesome um i remember standing outside for three hours again bless my dad who's still with us and thank thankfully for that but like you know he stood with me in like january of like 90 i want to say 92 when image comics first started because they had all of the image guys there and i waited out line i waited out line for rob liefeld's signature and jim lee's signature um i don't know if they had all of them i think they just had those two guys because that's all i got the signatures from but it was like an event comic book store in the early 90s you know especially when the, when the whole image thing was happening man it was like going to a concert it was huge it was cool and an interesting side note to that is fast forward 20 years later almost 17 years later in 09 when i had my image book come out i got to sign autographs next to all the guys Guys that I waited in line for. Wow. And so thanks to my dad. I mean, look, that, that's you know, that's a big <laughs> that's a big shout out for for braving the cold. But um, but it was definitely like a cool like I remember in 09 thinking to myself, like, man, I was outside the wizard store, <laughs> you know, waiting for these guys' autographs. I don't think Rob Liefeld was part of Image United. I can't remember if he was or not, but all the image guys were, and 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 I just remember, you know, parallel thinking back to that comic book shop, you know. That's great. Now, what were your big titles back in the day? Like, who were you just like the biggest fan of artist, writer, whoever? I mean, it was, hey, come on, it was all the image stuff. I mean, let's, <laughs> let's be honest here, right? I mean, I, I mean, look, I know the 80s had some amazing comics and, and amazing runs by certain creators. I'm actually, right now I got like the Marvel Unlimited app and I'm reading some for the first time, uh, the, the Uncanny X-Men run, you know, from the beginning. And I never, not not like the Jack Kirby stuff, but with Stan Lee, but like the Chris Claremont run, like I just started with 94. And I realized like there's about, I don't know, there's about 50 issues or so that I just, I never got to collect because it was way before my time. And my collection, I managed to to go all the way back to like issue 200 and I and I you know I, I did the backlog and, and bought a bunch but because that's the thing I mean I was into I remember seeing X-Force number one and again you're 12 years old and it's like the big shoulder pads and the artwork the line work from Liefeld was like just called to me and then the X-Men you know Jim Lee cover and I was like man this looks awesome you know and and then I managed to pick up all those back issues or as many as I could afford I should say because those things were going for like big bucks way back in the day and I, I used to go to Toys R Us though and I lucked out because because Toys R Us used to have those packaged Marvel single issues like X-Men. And I got a bunch of Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor, X-Force, like, or, or sorry, New Mutants, sorry, New Mutants, like in these like collector's packs for like super cheap. I was like, oh, this is, you know, again, it was crack. It was, it was like amazing, you know, like. <laughs> You know, you just you love that stuff. I mean, it was and it was it was it was great. Yeah. So so all, I was into all the X books. I was into every I, everything Marvel. I was a Marvel guy. McFarlane, Spider-Man. Obviously, I loved that. I loved Eric Larson even more, though. And, you know, through Wizard, I got to meet him and actually converse with him. And, and you know, so he knows who I am. And that's, you know, Eric Larson was like my favorite artist growing up. Although Jim Lee, I always would regard as like the best of the bunch in mm. terms of I mean, he's I mean, come on. He's like he's God. <laughs> Jim Lee also picked up my girlfriend in, in back way back in the day. And, and I mean, literally like lifted her up i mean again this is these are stories that you know again this is the fun part about being at wizard you know is you got to meet all your heroes and you were peers you weren't fans you were peers let's move closer to that era then so do you remember when you first discovered like wizard magazine and you kind of made the connection like okay this is the shop i shop at like did were you buying it every month or? i wasn't buying it until maybe 
the 20s, like okay. issue 20s or so, I, I think is what I have. I hate to say this, I threw out most of my wizard magazines. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. I didn't like, why was I gonna keep it, you know? I still have some of the older ones though, somewhere. So here's the thing, an 11 or 12 year old's budget is really thin. So buying like a magazine about comics, I'd rather just buy the comics. And, and a lot of that stuff was like over my head anyway. Again, the mom was very like, hey, look, this is, you know, my son does this magazine. You might like it, blah, blah, blah. It's all it talks all about it. And then again, in high school, then obviously all of a sudden, like I'm, you know, I'm hooked on that too. I was, I was hooked on the magazine as well, too. I mean, I'm, once you get, once you cross the 14 year old barrier of, of intelligence, your brain expands and you want more stuff. Yeah. You were talking about your college days earlier. So let's kind of jump into this era. What yeah. events led you to Wizard? Well, I actually interned there. So this is one of those moments that you always remember. I was interning actually down in New York City. I was a visual arts major and a creative writing minor. I've always wanted to do comics. I'm telling you, since that Spider-Man comic I got, I was like, I love making comics. And that's what I've always set out to do. And I'm proud and I'm lucky that I've been able to do it in some capacity, right? I remember just thinking to myself, I live about 40 minutes north of New York City and I would take the bus in every every day for this internship. And it was a cool internship. It was a graphic design internship. My cousin worked for this company that would make like licensed t-shirts and licensed, you know, boxer shorts and pants. So it was like Looney Tunes characters. Oh. And, you know, they do all, you know, it sounds kind of cool, right? Like it sounds like a fun internship, but I remember driving home, like taking the bus and I was kind of like, I wasn't tired because I was 19, but I remember looking around and everyone's just like tired and exhausted and it just felt like I don't want to be these guys like I can see that on their faces you know and, and I'm just projecting who knows what they really were maybe they they were tired I can tell you that right now because commuting <laughs> But but I'm in my head, I'm like, these people are working jobs they don't love. They don't love this stuff. They don't like any of this stuff. They, you know, I'm not going to be these people. And from the time I was 19 on, I just, I set about this mission. I'm like, I need to do what I love. I need to make comics for a living. So immediately I was like, I need to intern at Wizard. It's right down the street from me. I, I mean, I still live in the same town I grew up in, or the same county anyway. My son just had like Little League at the field that is across the street from where the old Wizard, you know, headquarters was. You oh, know? wow. So, I mean, that's how, that's how close I am to it. And I'm like, I need to intern there because I need to figure out what I need to do to launch my own comic. It always, I, that was always my intention. So even interning, it was like, all right, how do I launch my own comic? I interned in 2000. It was a cool experience though because you walk in, there's the pinball machine, there's the ping pong table, there's like life-size cutouts. And look, it's the funny thing. Part of me never wanted to work there. I never wanted to work there. I wanted to intern. I was I was on, an, on a super secret mission here. I was like an <laughs> intel mission. I was like a spy. I was like, I'm here on a fact-finding mission. But at the same time, I'm like, that's pretty cool. And yeah, so look, it was a cool place to work. The warehouse was awesome. I mean, it was just full of comics and they had the photo area. I mean, it, so yeah, it was it was it was an, definitely a unique internship. Wasn't again where I wanted to end up though, and I think it's kind of hilarious when I look back on it too, because the goal was, all right, I'm gonna go to a comic book convention because that was the pinnacle of your internship. Was you got to go to Wizard World Chicago. College ends in May. You start from June and you go all the way through. Basically, Wizard World Chicago was the end of your internship and. I remember leaving the internship being like, man, I, I definitely don't want to work there. I want to, I just, I want to make my own comics and, and I'm good. Because being an intern, I ended up under Stephen Seamus, who at the time, there's an irony to this later involving me specifically, my internship, I thought I was going to learn a whole bunch of design. I thought I was going to work like in the design department and I was, but Stephen Seamus co-opted us and not in a bad way. He just, that's what you're, you're an intern, right? So you just do whatever they tell you to do. And we had to scan old comic books in because they were launching their online price guide they didn't have apps back then but it was essentially like an app it was like mm -hmm. a computer program and i'm like this is the worst internship i've ever <laughs> been a part of like i'm there's this other mike who was an intern there also 
um, cool dude, really nice guy. We got along real well. And I mean, he, I mean, he was like, he was a scanning machine. And I'm like, dude, I'm not scanning. I'll whatever. I'll sc- I, I would scan a book, but then I would just go to the library and I'd take a bunch of stack of comics out and start reading them and be like, this is like just such a way. I because I, I went in with this like ex- expectation. I'm like, I'm gonna learn Quark. You know, Quark was a program back then. Yeah. I'm gonna learn like more Photoshop. I'm gonna learn all like, and again, all this stuff to be like, all right. Yeah, I'm, you're I'm like Steve at our lead. Show me the way, right? Right. Yeah. Now Steve was good though. Steve did give me some pointers in Photoshop but I didn't work with them. That was a thing. I was in the design department, but I was co-opted to just scan old comics in. And that was my internship. Now, during the internship, obviously, like you're saying, you're, you're low man on the totem pole there. You sure. know, you're, you're just do this, do that. But aside from Steve and Seamus, like, were you interacting? Like, were there people that were just like, hey, you're cool. Why don't you help us out? Do this fun thing. Like what during the internship period, what would you say was the high point? The high point was Where's the Real Chicago? OK, I mean, there's no question about it. I I, I mean, Matt, there was a guy named Matt and a guy named Owen who worked in the design department. They were all cool. Oh, look, Arlene was I mean, I, I, I'm still friends with Arlene. I mean, there's definitely a lot of cool people who were there. But during the internship you know you're so kind of limited to to like whoever you're kind of reporting to so mm-hmm. you know i remember mike cotton back then i remember joe yanarella i mean i remember all of the the central guys pat but i didn't really interact with them to be honest with you mm-hmm. um so to me wizard world chicago was kind of the high point like that was and, really and what was it about the show like what was your main mission where you were there who were you trying to meet who were you trying to network with like- i was actually slipping photocopies of my comic book characters into the giveaway bags wow Super so there were people that walked around there with flowers. I, I dropped them into the giveaway. So as soon as you get in, you get a giveaway bag. The book was was called Crossfire back then. It became the sire later. But I was putting little like flyers. I printed out a whole bunch. I'm telling you, I dude, I my mind was so focused on, you know, what can I do to market myself and market my book? But the Wizard World Chicago experience, though, was the first time I ever discover what an artist alley was hmm. and that's the lasting memory though for me was huh. because i'd been to like small little church shows i mean again this is 2000 right so there aren't you, you have san diego comic-con which i wasn't going to fly out to at that that point i'm in college right what else did you have you had wizard world chicago and san diego comic-con i mean you have like heroes con that's a smaller show that i think that was still in pittsburgh was still kind of around baltimore was still kind of around but these are all you know for the most part my experience in comic cons was go to the new york city and they have like church basements they have shows hotel shows my dad would take me to hotel tell shows i remember walking the show floor and i'm like ah, this is kind of cool like there's the marvel booth and there's this like that's kind of cool and but i remember walking through the show floor and then go you get to the back and all of a sudden i'm like what is this place and it's just artists everywhere and i'm like oh, this is my home like this is where i belong man and and it, and it was that so that to me was like the the best experience that and Knuckles. I'm sure you've heard Knuckles at this. Has anyone told you Knuckles stories? Is this a person or the game of Knuckles where you're bashing the Knuckles? Till they how, has no, how have you done this podcast and no one has talked about Knuckles? No one has mentioned it. Tell me about it. Knuckles was the hotel bar. Oh. So again, these are the two highlights of Wizard World Chicago. Getting to be at, at an artist alley and discovering what artist alley was being like, wow, this is this is where I belong. And kind of like one of those self-fulfilling like, all right, I know I'm doing the right thing because I've discovered this artist alley. And then at night, going to Knuckles and hanging out and being like, there's Joe Casada, there's Jimmy Palmiotti, there's Jim Lee, holy cow, there's Eric Larson, there's this guy, there's that guy, oh my God. Like, And you're all just hanging out. And it was before fans knew that this is where all the creators went after the show. And it was like, you're hanging out and you're just having beers and you're like, oh. 
then you get the smile on your face. Then the, then it doesn't matter what you do. The inner fanboy in you is like, oh my God, <laughs> this is all the people I love and they're all here and we're all drinking beers. And again, you're, you're a peer. That's a pretty amazing thing. And Knuckles, I'm sure you want to hear a Knuckles story, right? Let's hear, <laughs> let's hear one at least. Yeah. <laughs> so there were at least three interns that year in 2000. I, actually, there was four interns. I don't remember the other kid's name, but there's one intern that uh, they nicknamed Sputnik because his head was bigger than his body. <laughs> and they named him that because... He had like a very weird way about himself. He was very arrogant. He was a very arrogant guy. So for being an intern, I think like his dad knew Garib and that's how he got the internship. He was just really annoying. Even like the other interns were all like, who's this guy? Like, what is he doing? I don't know. And at Knuckles, he like kept bothering the editorial staff to the point where they would just buy him drinks just to get rid of him. And then he would take that as a challenge. And then he got like super wasted <laughs> because he would just be like, all right, buy me another one. I just finished this one. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like you're a 20 year old intern. Like suffice to say his night did not end up very well, <laughs> so, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but the other intern, again, I don't remember what his name is. I want to say it's Jason. He met some girl. And again, this is 2000. Girls were not at comic book conventions. And he ended up, I ended up with him. We ended up driving through the back streets of Joliet, Illinois. I don't even know how I was in the car with this guy. And I'm like, I'm just here to like, <laughs> we ended up like, I don't know. Somebody was buying weed somewhere. Like there was, it was just like one of these like weird, you know, trippy things. And I'm like, how do we get back? There's no Uber. There's no cell phones. I'm like, how do we get back to the convention, bro? <laughs> so there was just, it was, it was cool. It was like, I was not, it was 20 years old. And so yeah, Wizard World Chicago was, it was a big party, man. And Knuckles was the place to be. All right. Well, now we know what to ask about the future oh, guests that yeah. we have on. Yeah. Now, jumping ahead a few years, you were first featured in the Wizard Masthead as a research assistant with issue right. 129, June 2002 cover date. So you're working with Dan Riley. How did you get to that point where you said, hey, I, I want to come on full time here, guys? And then how did it compare to the internship? So again, my whole plot was to make comic books. And I did. I, I worked really hard. I, I wrote and drew everything. I did every single thing in my comic book. It's called Crossfire. I submitted to a bunch of publishers. I submitted to Diamond. Everyone flat out said, nope, art's not good enough. And so basically kind of was like, all right, I'm like, I'm kind of screwed at this point. I graduated college. I'm working at a pizza place. Uh, I was working at the same pizza place that I was, you know, that I had worked in high school, whatever. And I'm like, all right, my comic book flopped, like big fail, like total big fail. Right. And so I'm like, well, if I got to work in somewhere, I, you know, it's right down the road. I better apply and just and apply for a job. So I got brought in Jody Westoff. I love Jody. She's amazing. She had actually put her two weeks notice in. And so I came into research and I took her place. And two weeks go by and Dan's like, did a great job. Joey Annarelle's like, did a great job. Jody's coming back though. She changed her mind. So unfortunately we don't have a job for you. So it, it's funny you mentioned June. I actually came in in March and uh, worked for two weeks. They paid me for my time, but ultimately I didn't end up getting the job because Jody came back. Uh, and then a few months later, Adam Paddock, who was in research, got promoted. And then so they called me back up again and they're like, yeah, you're, you're local. So it's perfect. Like, why don't you just come? And I was like, all right, cool. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a trial run at that point either. I just, I was hired. So, yeah. So working with Dan was great. Dan is one of the hardest working men I know. And for a like 22, Two year old or 21, I guess I was 21 still then. Like to see that, it, it made me tired. <laughs> like I was tired <laughs> watching him work so hard. We've had several people on that have mentioned you kind of started research. That's where everybody starts. You're pulling issues, they got to scan it, a reference yeah. for an issue. Do you remember anything in particular that was like really hard to hunt down? Something you had to find that then showed up in the magazine? You're like, oh, I pulled that. I remember that. No, but I will tell you this. There was one time, it was the Wizard Fan Awards, so it was the summertime, and I was in charge of reaching out to all the artists and getting headshots to put in the magazine. And Dave Johnson, artist extraordinaire, I reached out to him, and he sent me a photo. I didn't know what Dave Johnson looked like. Again, the internet's kind of in, in its infancy at this point, right? I don't know what a lot of these people look like. Sends me this photo, 
and it's him photo. He photoshopped his face on a very large man's body. <laughs> But it was a small JPEG. The file size was very small. We couldn't run it in the magazine. So I wrote back to him and I go, hey, this file is not big enough. Uh, you need to send me a new one. And he wrote me back this email. How dare you make fun of my weight? <laughs> Who do you think you are? Like, it's this long email. And I'm sitting there going, like, holy crap. Like, what do I do? Like, I, and I showed Dan. I'm like, Dan, like, did, you know, and I'm like, Mr. Johnson, I'm so sorry. I didn't, you know, I, I like, I, I meant the file size itself is not print worthy. And I'm trying to literally explain to him. Obviously, he knows this, but I don't know that he knows this. Like, I'm like, in print, there's a resolution size and you have to do this. And I'm like, I am S in my pants at this point because i'm sitting here being like and dan's like don't worry don't worry it's okay and then finally dave sends me back a regular photo of him and i'm like what the hell is going on here and then at that year's wizard world chicago i ended up meeting him or san diego i think it was san diego i ended up meeting dave and he's like are you the inter are you the guy are you the research assistant that i <laughs> that i caused to like you know and i'm like yeah he's like oh man bro, bro i was just playing i was just messing around with you man and i'm like i know man but i almost lost my job <laughs> and he's like oh he's like if i could do something for you i'm like draw me a cover <laughs> Yeah. And so he no, did. I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> no, he did. And he drew yeah. me a cover and he drew me a cover and I, and it'll, it'll be actually in stores in a couple months. Oh, that's <laughs> I'm, excellent. I'm wow. That's yeah. awesome. So during that period that obviously, you know, now you're kind of more part of the team, but again, you said your real mission was not to be there. So yeah. I know that eventually you began working with the wizard website. You were credited yeah. in the masthead as the online site manager issue 139, April, 2003 yeah. cover date so kind of short work by the time you're there they're saying get over here to the website what's so a couple things is funny so part yeah. of what i do i run my own business now and i run i do comic books i do uh podcasts i also build websites and back then i built my own website because again everything's about making my own comic books so i was like well i gotta learn how to do websites uh this is in college and i built my website and when I built my own website, uh, it was mikebooks.com back then. And friends and family would see my website and be like, wow, you're really good. How much do you charge? I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. But so I'd, I'd actually built a few websites. And then I was at Wizard for about a year or so or close to a year or whatever. And just like you said, I mean, that's what's going through my brain. I'm like, I I'm not a journalist. I'm not here to write articles. Honestly, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't even know what I want to do here anymore. I'm like, uh, like, because really the path, like research was always the minor leagues. That's what the analogy they use. Like, here's your minor leagues. You're going to go you're gonna do research and eventually you're gonna go and become like a magazine writer or something right and i'm like i, I don't want to do any of that stuff but i was walking into the toy fair offices uh which is right down the hall and uh, john gutierrez was toy fair and he gave a resume to joe yarnarelli he said here's my friend's resume for website manager and i said to joe i was like you know joe i build websites so you know is there something that that i can do you know he's like oh yeah we're we're looking for an online site manager they were looking for an online site manager because again remember all those covers i scanned see i told you it comes back to haunt me <laughs> they, they they had started that price guide venture where it was a paid subscription whatever whoever they partnered with ended up going to jail for money laundering and so they had to launch a new website like ASAP. So Joe Yannarello pulled me in his office and he's like, Mike, I'm gonna level with you. No one thinks you can do this job. <laughs> I don't think you can do this job. But the guy who we hired to do this other website, we have to cut bait with him ASAP and we're launching a new website. So we're gonna give you a trial run at this job. And I was like, thanks, I'll take it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so so that was that was essentially yeah i mean it was one of those things that he flat out told me he's like because i wasn't a great research assistant because i was bored because i didn't want to be there <laughs> you know so i get it like i totally get it i mean i i kind of like you know by the end of by the end of my first year i kind of was in a little bit of a groove doing it but it was it wasn't like i was employee of the month here you know in any way shape or form because my you know again my eyes were always on like all right this is what i want to be doing and i'm not doing that how do i get to what i want to be doing but then the website job it worked out good and what was nice about it too is i got to work upstairs the website was actually under stephen seamus's run not editorial and so it was actually kind of like refreshing to be in a more like corporate setting versus you know being downstairs where it was awesome but the pressure of the magazine deadline every month i mean people were on edge because it's a monthly magazine i mean this is like you got to get this in you got deadlines people working late people are playing video games people are i mean it was it was definitely a more frenzied pace where upstairs was just like oh man you guys leave at five that's awesome <laughs> like that's kind of cool like yeah and, and during that period what to you was the biggest perk of working at wizard being in that particular position I, there's there were so many perks i mean first of all again for a comic book nerd actually i'm a geek I, i've established this with my colleagues and friends i'm a comic book geek a geek is somebody who knows a little about a lot a nerd is someone who knows a lot about a little okay? yeah we call our listeners geeks officially so yeah. we're, we're you're welcome you here to have the library i mean you don't understand like there's there was a upstairs library the door would open and it was just reams of comic book boxes like anything you wanted to read was there and you could just go in and you, you had to sign out what you were taking and you can just steal stuff but you sign out the perks were numerous a you know just the day-to-day -day perks right is the library of comics b the connections you end up making i mean i ended up meeting every single artist i wanted to meet and then as the website editor they would send me to and at this point they started expanding the conventions right so now they had wizard world philadelphia they had wizard world chicago obviously still and then they had wizard world texas and they ended up adding wizard world la so there was four shows we would go to every single show and i was in charge of interviewing talent. So I have pictures of myself interviewing Jessica Biel, Ryan Reynolds, and David Goyer for Blade Trinity. And I I swear to God, I feel like I still have the recording somewhere. Still haven't found it, but I know it's somewhere of that interview and, you know, things like that. I mean, I got to meet all the Smallville cast and Kristen Bell and, you know, and, and again, you're meeting them not as like fanboys. You're meeting them as not peers necessarily, but you were cool to everybody. So that was good, especially if you're interviewing them. Obviously, that's a different that holds a different power as well. Yeah, the name Wizard really meant something at that moment. <sighs> you could cash yeah. in on that. And I'm curious, you know, you kind of mentioned, obviously, the drama behind the scenes that led to you getting this job but was there like something going on either something you accidentally did on the website something was published that wasn't supposed to be was like there anything that came up where yet we got to pull that off right now you know what i did i did do a misspelling one time where brian hitch re-signed with marvel but i wrote resigned for marvel <laughs> and they got a lot of angry like Ugh. you know somebody wrote in and they're like thanks and i'm like oh yeah man that was my bad <laughs> like that was totally my bad <laughs> there was some drama with the store because and this is a little inside baseball too there was always drama between upstairs and downstairs right. editorial and corporate were always kind of at each other and there was always a tension there but definitely the store knew, like for for example like we knew storylines four or five months in advance because we're covering the stuff because we're prepping the magazine for three months from now uh doing articles about it things like the death of captain america we knew we knew three months before it came out and that was one of those things like it was a surprise right it was a surprise to everyone else not to us 
And so I remember there being a lot of tension between editorial you being very upset with what the store did. The store ordered extra copies. Mm -hmm. They knew. So people know? were this, reading the tea leaves. They're like, oh, okay. Right. Well, it's not even reading the tea leaves. <laughs> well, oh yeah, people, yeah, the fans are kind of like, it wasn't even the fans. The fans didn't know, but the retailers knew. The retailers oh. were like, retailers are like, hey, how the hell do you know that number 25 is going to be a big deal? Oh, you know, because, you know, you know, this kind of stuff. So, so I remember, I just remember there was always tension. There was always that kind of stuff. And then the tail end of my time there, like right around 2005 is when things started kind of coming apart. Like you just kept walking in being like, is this the day I get fired? Because people started getting laid off in 2005 and 2006. And you kept thinking to yourself, well, nah, I'm sure we'll be fine. I'm sure we'll be fine. But then after a while, it's like, ah, oh, this person's not working here anymore. And oh, they just laid off this person. And you're like, I don't know, man, this, this ship's kind of coming undone. And what a crazy world to have that happen to. It's one of those things where you think about it. You're just like, you're on top of the world right now. Just keep riding the wave. Keep riding the wave. Hey geeks, it's time to take a break to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Manscaped. If you haven't heard already, it's Smooth Sack Summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're Manscaped from pubes to bum. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below the waist grooming are making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh, dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code wizard20, which my cousin just told me he ordered as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, this yeah. is the season, man, like they're saying. And you know who's the king of summertime manscaping, Michael? It's Namor, <laughs> the Submariner. His Atlantean Speedo leaves very little to the imagination, and dude always looks smooth when he's battling the villains of the deep blue sea imperious rex namor obviously hooked himself up with manscaped performance package 4.0 and it's time you do the same it has everything you need to prepare that summer bod manscaped has built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming their Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to its advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on off switch to engage travel lock. That's kind of cool. And gives you the ability to turn the 4,000 Kelvin LED spotlight on and off when needed for more precise shaves. I'll just tell you, Michael, like I busted out my equipment for the summertime. You know, it's getting hotter. I got to have less hair on the body, you know, just trying to keep it uh, nice and cool around these parts. I I'm excited. Both of those pieces of equipment are just so easy to use. That's the best part. I don't have to like prep anything. I'm just like, nope, it's ready to go. It's a smooth experience all the way around. I got to say also, the battery lasts a long time. Like if you charge this, it will last you several uses we need to recharge this, which I find very interesting. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Mm -hmm. Beach, lake, or shower, this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. <laughs> <laughs> 
And once you have the perfect haircut, you can use Manscaped's liquid formulations to keep that freshness, even at the hottest summer barbecues. Most importantly, use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant to stay cool in the heat with a soothing aloe vera formula. It's the best in the business for below-the-waist freshness, and this clear-drying formula will keep looking good while smelling good. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0. The Manscaped Boxers, which I wear quite often. They're very very comfortable and the shed travel bag wearing sandals with some nasty toenails during the summer months take a look at the shears 2.0 a luxury nail grooming kit this kit includes stainless steel nail cutters tweezers and grooming scissors so with the performance package 4.0 your balls will be ready to impress but make sure you cover the rest with the shears 2.0 so how do you go from imperious rexy to imperious sexy go to manscaped.com now get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code wizards20 at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code wizards20 at manscaped.com it's smooth sack summer geeks get on board or get left behind So one thing we've heard we haven't talked about too much, but you were there for five years, ultimately, you know, mm -hmm. in, in a yeah. pretty, pretty, you know, high profile capacity. The question is, you know, a lot of people say, well, it doesn't, it didn't pay well. Like they were taking advantage of our fandom yeah. and all of that. Sure. But like a lot of people said, well, we kind of made up the difference by grabbing swag from the warehouse. Oh yeah. yeah things oh, like totally. That. So what were you grabbing? Yeah, I was definitely up? hawking eBay stuff as much yeah. as I could. Now the thing, the funny thing is they even kind of told you, they're like, just don't put it under your name. And you're okay. And so I created an account under my mom's name. And my mom was one of big eBay seller for a while. You know, I got to be honest with you. You know, the thing that was good for me again was, although I did, I mean, I ended up moving out like to my own place the second year I was there, but I was, I lived at home. I mean, I lived yeah. at my parents' house. So that helped curb so many costs. You know, like when I was 22, any income is better than no income for me at that point and no expenses. So it didn't hurt. But there are people that flew across the country for this and they're living yeah. 30 minutes north because you could get cheaper rent 30 minutes north. But that means you're now you're commuting 30 minutes minutes back and forth, you know, back roads commuting too. It's not even like highway commuting because, you know, New Windsor, like that area was was cheaper rent. You could get that. There were a bunch of guys that would that would room together. I mean, uh, I'm sure, you you know, Matt Senreich's house. I'm sure yep. people have talked about that before on the show and like the Seth Green parties and all that stuff. But but yeah, they would all they would room together. And, you know, here's the thing. Editorial, the guys who were really in charge of things, they made good money like they made good money. It was kind of the I mean, research assistants, my, my starting salary was twenty one thousand dollars. Wow. Which is kind of crazy, right? Like, yeah, I mean, for that time, think about yeah. it. you know, again, that wasn't horrible. Like $30,000 a year is a normal entry level salary around that time. Uh, at least, you know, people I went to college with, like, that's what they were getting, like 30, 35. Like if you're getting 40 or 45, like maybe you were in IT or something like that. So yeah, I was way below everybody else, but I never got upset. I understood what I was doing. You know what I mean? Like I was in control of myself. Like if people were upset about it, I mean, just you got you got to get a new job. That's what I ended up doing. Well, uh, it feels like with a lot of people we've talked to, the end journey was Wizard. I want to work at Wizard. Like yeah. I want to write for Wizard, and that wasn't for you. But I do have to ask because you talked about the tension between upstairs, downstairs, oh, editorials, yeah. kind of like the party downstairs. You guys yeah. are all buttoned up upstairs. But did you get to ever like go to the parties like at Matt Sunrich's house, like those? Oh types yeah. Of things? So, so you were invited. At, yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. Else. I mean, I was. It's, it's funny because I mean, most people upstairs, it's like advertising 
advertising, those are real jobs, right? Like, and I say, I say that kind of like in quotes, right? Like those are real jobs as opposed to like working at Wizard Magazine, which is not a real job. Like if you really think about it, right? But no, like, yeah, like advertising people, convention people, marketing people, strategy people, like these are all real jobs that real companies have. And so you would hire real people to do it. You wouldn't hire fanboys and girls to do it. So the fact that I was downstairs first, you know, I got to experience both. And in a lot of ways, only production like Darren Sanchez uh, and Megan, who is, you know, wor worked in the same production office as him, like most people really didn't integrate with downstairs. So there was always, you know, like I said, there was always this tension in terms of what the suits wanted to do versus like what the more art, you know, creative art artists wanted to do. Yeah. You know? And like, but, you know, obviously, you know, in the magazine, they would print all the pranks they were playing on each other and all those different yeah. things. So did you ever experience any of that first head or are you hearing it upstairs? Like, did you hear what they did down there? It's a mess. Yeah, it like, was it was more like that. I, I, okay. I remember I was thinking about that and I was like, is there do I know anything that had I don't know if I had anything that had, you know, those kind of mischievous pranks. <sighs> I'm sure there's something and I, I'm telling you, I've been thinking about it the last few days and I'm sure there was something that happened that I just can't remember because it all just blurred into one. Yeah. <laughs> all well, into one. well, we got to get to this question that we ask everybody. Stephen Seamus, you've actually, you even yeah. thanked him in the opening pages of your early issues of your comic book. Thanks to Stephen Seamus by name. Yeah, I reported directly to him. And what was, he what was, the, was best the vibe? Boss. I got to be honest with you, he was the best boss for me because I just did my job and he never bothered me and it was great. I mean, I gotta be honest, that's the other thing, right? They talk about the low salaries. Working upstairs was not hard. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, it was not hard. Even working as a research assistant, at the end of the day, it seems like a lot of like grunt work, but now I like, I compare it to like what I do now and I'm like, oh my God, like that's a walk in the park, dude. Like there's nothing, like you're not dealing with people. You're just go get, the, you're a gopher. Go for this, go for that, you know, like it's easy. So Steven, like my job as website editor was to update the site three times a day with content, editorial would send me the content i would review it i would post it up and i was done the rest of the time i worked on my comics when i was there so it was, it was awesome and steven didn't care he didn't care he's like i don't care as long as you get your work done i don't care the last year i was worked there i even asked him i was like hey can i just do this job from home on fridays and he's like all right and so i have no complaints working with steven ironically enough because a lot of people have complaints working with steven but not me <laughs> Not me That's at all. so interesting. Yeah. So by comparison, I'm sure he passed by in the halls, but you know, th there was a persona for the big cheese yeah. in the magazine. And then a yeah, lot Garib. of former employees, yeah, have, have an, an attitude these days towards Garib Sheamus, which may not be favorable. So we have to ask you though, Garib Sheamus, cool or fool? I'm going to say both. And the reason I say that though is, look, he was the money guy. He was the face. He was the corporate face too, right? And Fred Pierce was the publisher. Fred had a lot to do with securing a lot of different deals and and just working the actual business end of things, right? Like, uh, you know, back then, I'm in my early 20s. Understanding how to run a business is not necessarily something that, look, I, I was an art major. To even contemplate business was like close to selling out, right? But Garib formed something that can never be duplicated ever again. Like he was, I mean, Pat was the, Pat was the editorial genius. Brian Cunningham was was an editorial genius you know I, there's so many so many people to name there but i just know that those were like two of the head honchos joe yannarell was the guy that kept everyone on track he was the magazine guy but what they did and what they created with garib you know being the corporate face 
it's it's unprecedented. It's never going to happen again. It's just never going to happen again. I I don't, especially not in our time. Anyway, maybe in, maybe in five ten years, if if people's attitudes and 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 our our social climate changes in a way, but I don't know how it's going to. But maybe it will. Like nothing like that's going to exist. So he's got to be cool for that. On the flip side of things, to dismantle a multi million dollar company, like how else? That's fool right there, right? Like that's awful. And and it wasn't just him. There was a lot. Like I said, there was a lot of infighting. There was a lot of stuff going on with you being upstairs you're kind of in the middle of that area as well you're not downstairs living the no, fantasy right. you're kind of oh here's the business minds talking we yeah. hired a guy named John Coe to come in and and I was leaving he wasn't taking my position Rick Marshall took my position from the editorial stance uh, my last year there I, I switched over to just managing the convention part of the website and the editorial you know they wanted the they wanted control of the website so they brought it downstairs they hired Rick Marshall awesome dude and he was great at what he did we John talked Coe, to though, Rick he had a hard time he said <laughs> he said it was oh yeah. easy going for him yeah no yeah he he but he was he was good at what he did though he was very good at what he did and he was a good dude still is a good dude john co came in and he his the whole mission with john co it was me and martha donato and i was on the team to usher in the digital era for wizard to transform it so we actually were taking bids from website companies i mean it was going to be my wizard you know my.wizard.com like where you could actually go and you know create your own profile and and what what do you like and like the concepts that were there and then ultimately Garib starts the MMA wrestling thing and uses Wizards money to do it which again I mean in hindsight he was before his time right because UFC is huge now yeah. but back then no and then there was all this other stuff going on I think where they ended up you know just there was lawsuits between like employee like em, like employees that got let go or people that got let go that drained more money out of the bank account. So by the time it came to actually building this website, they had no money. Like they're just like it's too much money. We we just can't do it. And ultimately it's like if they had kept up with it, Wizard might still be around right now and it's not. And and so yeah, that's why I got to go both, you know, and and Garab was forefront. I mean, he spent wizard money on an UFC fighting. Like, it's what happens. So now we don't have it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah. And so let's get into this now because we've been hearing all the way along. The journey is to get to publish your own comic book. It's getting out there into the industry and yeah. meeting the people, learning how they get it done. So all along the way, what would you say were some of the biggest moments, the biggest lessons you were learning from these comic book creators who had had success that you're getting a chance to meet with? Was there like a, a mentor you had or was it more just like, hey, I'm going to grab from this person, grab from this person? You know, I, I tell you what, it was a lot of everything, but it was also just about building friendships, to be honest with you. I know he's kind of a uh, a, a crazy name in the industry right now, but Ethan Van Skyver was, was actually very helpful to me early on. And you could sit down and talk to him and, and tell him, yeah, I want to do this. And he would give you advice. And he gave me a great quote, which I can't use now. <laughs> But I mean, you know, but like, and, and he, but he was, he was more than willing to do that. Dave Johnson, I told you, I mentioned him and he mm -hmm. was more than happy to, to, to help guys like Mark Brooks, actually Mark Brooks through no, no other reason, except that I was the research assistant that called him, gave him his first, like, I don't want to say his first break in the industry, but his first like official paid like gig doing an anime insider cover. And so he remembers that. So Mark, I always see Mark at comic book shows and I always say hi and we're, we're still, you know, we're friends and, but he, you know, he had told me years ago and I don't know if he still remembers it and I wouldn't fault him if he doesn't, but I remember back in early on, he's like, man, you hired me to draw an anime insider cover. I, I think that was like one of the 
first things he ever got paid to do as an artist, you know. Talent Caldwell is one of my best friends, and that's through Wizard, and he drew the Sire covers for me, and, um, you know, he's done, he's actually done a bunch of covers, and we worked on a project together, and Michael Turner, too. I mean, Michael Turner was, dude, and Frank, who runs Aspen Entertainment, man, those guys are just, they were always so nice to me, and always great, and we, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out, but, you know, it was all about the friendships, it was all about just getting to know these people, and you just absorb stuff. So there wasn't a mentor per se, but there was all these people. There were so many people that are just so willing to help. Yeah. So like you said, first time around, you're dropping your flyers in the convention bags. Yeah. And then you're you're meeting people along the way. Uh, you get somebody to draw a cover for you because they right. feel bad for pranking you. All of that. <laughs> but eventually you did. Uh, I have issue 178 of Wizard here. And you did yeah. actually advertise in Wizard. Now, your name is not on there. Just the cover artist. It doesn't say your name anywhere. Yes. And I was wondering, was there a conflict of interest because you were in the masthead? Like you were concerned? Like how did that start to oh, work because yeah. you're going out the door, but you're advertising? Well, that was the good part. I mean, that was the good part. I was going out the door, but at the same time, I sat there going, you know, I don't want anybody to even like, because look, the work is what matters, right? I don't want them to think. Now, here's the good thing about the advertising, right? Those were all free for me. And, <laughs> and they were free for anybody who worked at Wizard because there was always extra ad space. Oh. And if there was extra ad space, they they needed stuff to fill it. And so they'd be like, hey, do you have anything? And I'm like, you know, and that was, that was again, a perk of working upstairs. I was front, Karen Avora ran the advertising and she was awesome. And she's like, Mike, if you ever want to run an ad, we always need extra space. And they actually gave me a column back there too. I mean, if you look at in the back, I don't remember what issues and I wish I still had it. I did a couple columns back there and it was, you know, advice for breaking into comics. So, and this was post, this was after I left at that point, but they mm -hmm. still, you know, it, even after I left, I was still doing some freelance work for them. And I left on great terms. Unlike a lot of folks, <laughs> I managed to, again, I, I kind of talked about it before. Every time I walked in the building around 05 to 06, like toward the tail end of 05, into the beginning of 06, it was like, oh crap, is today the day I get fired? You know, is the day the day I get let go? And I'm like, I got to plan my next destination because, you know, I don't ever want to be fired. And so I kind of knew I was out the door and I got to do it on my terms. I got to do it in good spirit. The magazine itself was still intact at the end of, uh, of 06. I mean, I technically left. Yeah, because I think your last issue I mean, was 185 March 2007. Yeah, so. Right, but I was, I was already gone at that point. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, because again, the magazine's three months in advance. Yeah. So 06 is really when I left. I think I left maybe the first week of January. I started my next job. So it was kind of, that was the timing of it. So yeah, no, I got to tell you. So The Sire, your book that you've been working on all these years, you know, I've, I've yeah. read several issues of this book and especially oh, for, yeah, for that era, <laughs> like it's a yeah. great book. Like if people have never heard of it, I remember seeing it advertised in Wizard, but I don't think I just didn't know where to get it back in the day. And it's a great concept, great dialogue. I'm, I'm a dialogue snob. So that's the me fact too. Yeah. Your writing there with the dialogue is fantastic, but the art was always solid. Like it just, it looks fantastic. So for you kind of organizing everything on your own, you found the right people, you did the work the yeah. right way. And it really is a nice package for anybody who hasn't checked it out Thank up to you. this point. So talk to us a little bit about post wizard and yeah. you're, you're moving on, you know, getting get a new job, but still trying to get the comic published on a regular basis, I'm sure. So how did wizard and working at wizard ultimately influence you in these years up to now? Like how many of those connections have continued oh, God, to allow you to do what you do. Yeah. Yeah. All of them. I mean, like Dan Leister, who was the runner up in the wizard talent contest in 2000, got hired by Darren Sanchez to do his comic when he was at wizard. It was a book called Celestial Alliance. So 
we kind of talked about it. I did. It, Sire was originally called Crossfire. It bombed. I did everything. I drew it. I wrote it. I created a font for it. I did like I did everything, dude. It was crazy. But ultimately, it didn't get me where I wanted. The reason it took from 2001 to 2006, which is when Sire actually first got published, though, for me to to finally release it was I kept trying to draw it. If I was not working, you know, at Wizard, I was home on my drawing table, you know, constantly honing my skill, my drawing skills, because I was going to draw the book. And Darren Sanchez, who, you know, I guess, you know, if anyone is as close to a mentor, it would be Darren, because he makes independent comics. And, you know, he gave me a lot of good advice. And the best advice he gave me, which I still, I say this at panels, I say this, you know, at interviews and things like that, is figure out what you're trying to do. He goes, you know, are you trying to create a comic or are you trying to create an art project? What, what are you actually trying to do? I'm like, yeah, you know what? At the end of the day, I want to tell this story. Like, that's my goal with this. He's like, so find another artist. And I'm like, okay, is Dan available? Because Dan drew your book. He's like, yeah, I'll give you his his contact info. And so then getting connected to Dan, I gave Dan his first big break really with the sire because all the advertising in Wizard got him kind of noticed as well too. He did work at Zenoscope. Then he introduced me to the editor at Zenoscope. I did some work with them immediately after. I wrote some Grimm's Fairy Tales for them. You know, the Zenoscope stuff came back years later too because I ended up doing a comic called The Mainstream with talent, with Darren and another friend of ours, Tony Moy. So again, everything stems from Wizard in that sense of just all the connections I made back then have some sort of root. I'm the creative uh, director at a company called Rogue Matter right now. It's a new startup company out in LA and we're doing comics and doing all this, this great stuff. And uh, the guy who runs that company is like, he ran Space Dog back in the day. Space Dog was a small niche comic book company. He ran it through the Top Cow offices. So <clears> he knows all the wizard people too. So it's, you know, again, like it just keeps coming up. Like it just never, it never not comes up, you know? Like, and look at all the talent that came through Wizard though. I mean, look at Robot Chicken. I mean, you got Emmy winners. Mike Fasolo has been on my podcast. Hassan Godwin, I haven't even mentioned him. Hassan is the co-host of my podcast that we do. He was the bass player in my band. I mean, like, you know, we, we played in New York City a bunch post wizard in 06 to 09 we played the new york scene together i mean there's never going to be something like wizard again they're just not <laughs> yeah just what, not. and tell us briefly about your image experience the idea of yeah. getting the call to like hey you want to publish your book here like how did that come together for you so again there's like they call it like referral tiers right i got to know the silent devil people because silent devil was a small indie comic book company casey loved them and put them in the secret stash column so i got to know Adam and and Christian. And the one thing I could do pretty well was color a book. Um, so I showed them my work. I was like, here's here's Crossfire. I did the color. And they're like, oh, that's good coloring. Do you want to color a book? Paid me 200 bucks to color a book. You know, it was not really a lot of money, but I didn't care. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then I got to know Mitch Hyman, who did Bubba the Redneck Werewolf, another Secret Stash alum, right? And he then, he saw the Silent Devil stuff. He's like, oh, can you color this book? So I did, I colored Bubba the Redneck Werewolf. And I colored a backstory. Dwight McPherson did the writing. And I did the coloring. So then Dwight ended up pitching a book to Image Shadowline. He got into Image and he's like, hey, Mike, you colored my backstory. You did a great job. Do you want to come and color M Theory for me? And M Theory was. And oh. so this was my first uh, my first image work was actually as as the colorist. And then so I got to know Jim Valentino and Chris Simon, who was the editor. I'm like, hey, you know, I know I, you, you know me as a colorist, but I also do my own books. And Chris actually read The Sire. So that was cool. And and so uh, we pitched a new book called Descendant. It was me and Marcus Perry was my co-writer. Marcus Perry won the Wizard World Texas Film Festival, and that's how I got to know him. I was the judge 
for Wizard World Texas. Uh, and I was like, dude, we should collaborate on something. And and so we came up with this book called Descendant. And then we pitched it to uh, to Jim. And he's like, yeah, this is great. Let's do it. And it was like, yeah, all right, I'm an image now. Look at that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I'm curious, oh, you know, all these years later now, you've mentioned several times, you know, we're never going to have something like Wizard. It was a phenomenon. No, yeah. it, it was a moment in time. It had a good, like, 20-year run. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. But looking at it now, you know, 30 years on, what do you think ultimately is the legacy of Wizard as a professional, as somebody in the comics industry? Like when you talk to other people, like you said, the connections, everybody knows Wizard knows this, but like, is it favorable? Do you look at it and say they made a difference for in a positive way for most people that got featured? The legacy oh gosh, of Wizard? yeah. I mean, well, I wasn't going to answer the question in that way, but just that your last statement though, I mean, anybody who got featured in Wizard, it was huge. And don't forget too, I mean, back in the, you know, back during its heyday, right? I mean, comic book, we didn't have comic book movies. You had Spider-Man 2, which was probably still the greatest comic book movie of all time. And then you had Batman Begins in 05. And then you kind of had the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. And that's kind of it, right? I mean, you, I mean, look, there's plenty of stuff in between. Don't get me wrong. But in terms of what we know it as today, right? Being in Wizard, you made it. It's legacy now. I know people want to trash it. I know there are other independent journalists that want to trash it. And they used to trash it back then too. But I think something that people fail to understand is the context of when it came out and who the audience was. I mean, Everyone wants to say like it wasn't very inclusive to women, right? But I'm like, back in the 90s, I hate to say this, women didn't read comics. I'm not saying that they didn't or there wasn't any, but they were the outlier. <laughs> they weren't the norm. It's not like it is today where everybody is into comics, you know? I mean, and and especially in the 90s, look, again, yes, you obviously there was women in comics. There's women professionals in comics. There was a lot of women that worked at Wizard in editorial too. I mean, you, you definitely had people, but the magazine's target audience, and this again, going back to the business sense, was 14-year-old boys, you know? <laughs> again, through... Wizard and through other, you know, channels, I got to become friends with Fabian Nicieza, you know, who's co-creator Deadpool. So, and 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 he's a friend, and I, and that's a cool thing. And I got to interview him for uh, a podcast, and we were talking about X Force Number One. And he said, "Look, you got to understand, we knew we were making comic books for fourteen-year-old boys. We knew, like, that's what we were doing. And Rob knew that, and he knew that, and the folks at Wizard knew that." You know, and that's the thing. And they were making things that their 14 year old self wanted to read. And so to look back on it in any other way, but to say, look, they did it. But the amount of talent that came through those doors, again, you just look at it. There, there's Emmy winners that came through those doors. You know, there are folks who are like executives at comic book companies who were steering the books that you, you know, were reading uh, and you didn't realize it, but they came from Wizards. So, I mean, Mike Martz, for example, is a, is a Wizard alumni. He's been in charge of all of your most favorite books from the last 20 years. Your favorite X-Men run? Yeah, that was Mike Martz was the editor of that. Your favorite Batman run when Jim Lee came back? Yeah, Mike Martz was in charge of the uh, DC Universe back then you know there's just so many people Glenn Hurdling was a wizard guy and he was an editor you know he ended up going off to Marvel the entire Valiant staff <laughs> the current <laughs> Valiant staff is ex-wizard guys so yeah that's I think that's the legacy is the people the people really made that place what it is that is fantastic and really yeah thank you so much for your your stories and your enthusiasm about everything it's interesting to have that perspective because we haven't talked to very many people that admitted i wanted to make comics everybody was just kind of like it was a fun place to be i was reading it i went to so to get that journey on your side but where can people find the sire being published these days how can they contribute to kickstarters what do you have going on yeah well we got everything sire origins actually will be in stores awesome. june 28th so that's exciting and then it's followed with sire revelation 
questions, and then we're going to have that Dave Johnson cover, which I ended up repurposing for Siren Number 7. That'll be in stores as well, too. Uh, it's through a company that uh, I'm working with called Dren Productions. And so we've got we got Kickstarters coming up for that. I've got books coming out through them later in the year as well, too. And then Rogue Matter, like I, I mentioned as well, too. Rogue Matter will be hitting the scene pretty hard at the end of this year. i actually been working with them for the past two years, and COVID uh, kind of did a number on our launch plans the last few years. But yeah, I got books coming out through them as well, too. I got a book called Time Trader. Actually, you can read digitally right now through their website. So yeah, so amazingly enough, the crazy path I never expected to take, I'm here. And that's uh, that's all I can ask for. And all we could ask for was a great interview, and we sure got it. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us here on The Wizard Files. Of course, if you want more behind-the-scenes stories from The Wizard Bullpen, well, you can go to our archives at wizardscomics.com or your favorite podcatcher of choice. Just search for The Wizard Files. We have 38 episodes now in that series, in addition to some specials, roundtables, bonus episodes, where we've brought on many Wizard staffers to join us and tell their stories. But you want to stay connected with everything that's going on make sure you check us out on social media at wizards comics on twitter at wizards underscore comics on instagram find our channel on youtube wizards the podcast guide to comics where you can get all sorts of video content and until next time we're closing the files This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.